Hello everyone and welcome to this podcast from Vrije Universiteit Amsterdam about hybrid working. My name is Danny Mekic and I studied law and management sciences and nowadays I'm working as a management consultant for organizations. And today I'm the presenter of this podcast about hybrid working and I'm really curious to learn more about this very important topic from a guest that was already studying hybrid working even before I knew it was even a word. Um, I will speak with Ella Havermals. She's from the Kin Research Group in the School of Business and Economics at Vrije Universiteit Amsterdam. She studied remote work for her PhD already back in 2016. And she has a PhD in Information Systems and Work and Organizational Studies from the University of Sydney Business School in Australia and also holds degrees in teaching, media and communications and cultural studies from the University of Melbourne in Australia as well. Um, Ella, you studied both in, in Sydney and Melbourne. So the first question I wanted to ask you, Sydney or Melbourne? Oh, no. <laughs> this is controversial, Danny. Um, both have their high points. Better coffee in Melbourne. Better coffee in Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, you were born in New Zealand? That's right. New yeah. Zealand or Australia? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm already making enemies. Um, New Zealand has beautiful landscape. Australia is a great place to work. I'm being very diplomatic. Yeah, that, that sounds great. And actually, I can fully agree with you. Well, anyway, you made it all the way from down under to Amsterdam. Uh, what brought you here? My research group, actually. I'm in a group, as you said, called KIN, and it's one of the most unique groups in the world. We study technology, work and organising, and it's actually quite rare to get that intersection where you look at both how organisations do things and also how technology is used. And what's the most mind-blowing scientific insight that you had so far from that group? Well, <laughs> the group is always coming out with super interesting stuff about robots, robotic surgery, digital innovation. Uh, one of the things that I was working on recently and also before the COVID outbreak was about how people who work from home sometimes feel like they're in a state of exile. So they feel like they're kind of overlooked, banished um, and ignored in the organisational context. So I'm not sure that that's mind-blowing or, 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 or totally groundbreaking, but that's one of the issues that I've been thinking about. Um, I want to start in 2020, actually, because the reason why we're talking about hybrid working, obviously, is because COVID came to our lives. And then the, mo the moment was there that, that almost everyone in the Netherlands and in many other countries started working from home. W what did you do? What did you, did you think in that moment? I was preparing to teach a big course, like uh, many of my colleagues at uh, the FU. We were in the midst of a teaching term. So it was really a matter of, oh dear, this is coming very quickly. We have to change the way that we work, the way that we teach, the way we interact with our students, with each other, with our teaching teams. So that became my priority um, with the, the leadership of the program I was teaching into. How do we adapt immediately, overnight? And what did you change? Everything, yeah. <laughs> this, this was, you know, we have our routines about how we how we do things, how we teach, and they're based in uh, a particular rhythm of on-campus uh, events where you kind of know when to do what, and everything was brought into question by this need to do everything remotely, everything from home. Yeah. Then, luckily, the thinking that I'd done about remote working and what it means to work from home and what's needed. Um, was helpful, but it still required a lot of translation and adaptation to think about how to implement these changes. I can imagine that, so the pandemic started and you went in with a lot of knowledge about remote work, but I guess that for you, the pandemic also had some surprises when it comes to that topic. So 
Uh, have you found that some of your assumptions or previous conclusions turned out to be incorrect? Certainly some. I think that the pandemic is a really particular situation and it's a little perhaps dangerous to draw too many conclusions from it also in terms of what we should take away about the way that we should work or, or good ways of working because it was a crisis. For example, one of the main features that was very different at that time was a lot of people had their kids at home and that's not the usual way that people do remote working you know there's usually still some boundaries between your work day and and your private life and your caring responsibilities so having all of that lumped together I think was just enormously challenging for a lot of people um, another example is that remote working has always been about choice you have flexibility you might want to go and work in a cafe for the morning or choose to sit outside uh, You know, with other people uh, when that suits. Whereas during the pandemic, all those choices were taken away from us. We had to have a very kind of strict working environment in our homes. So those features of remote work during the pandemic were different. That's why some people refer to it as a period of enforced remote work, which is a little different from what people before the pandemic had been practicing. Yeah. Um Where do we stand with remote working? Do you do you think that we're going back when it comes to the insights there were before the pandemic? Do you think the crisis way of remote working will remain with us for a little longer? Or This is playing out now. So none of us knows exactly what's going to happen. Um, we're seeing it play out in, in different ways in different companies. Some people are calling everyone back to the office in quite a, uh, a dictatorial way, I'd say. Um, that's definitely not... The majority of what we're seeing at the FOO is much more of an uh, experimental, negotiated process of figuring out what works for us and coming back to campus. Um, but we are starting to see industry talks about things like the reluctant returner, you know, how do you convince people to come back into the office? And that speaks to this knowledge and learning that we've had about what can actually be beneficial about working from home. Now we're grappling with that tension of, yeah, but how do we still recapture some of what we've lost in terms of a social connection with one another, that sense of being together, the excitement that comes from sharing knowledge in person. So this is very much not settled. Um, we, I think, could still learn something from experienced remote workers uh, not the enforced type of remote work. Now that we have more choice and flexibility, maybe we could also bring some of the benefits of that way of working back in. Just as an example, asynchronous work where you actually don't all work at the same time, that's a really big part of remote work practice because it gives people flexibility to do things when it suits them. And yet during the pandemic, there was a huge emphasis on synchronous work, working at the same time, having meetings on Zoom all day long. Yeah. Uh, that's not something that experience... I still remember, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Zoom fatigue, it's a phenomenon. That's not something that experienced remote workers would ever advocate. So if we can maybe step back and, and reflect on some of these practices that we've adopted in crisis mode and, and make them work for us in a cleverer way, that would be good. You triggered me with something that you just said whereas there is some negotiative component going on in remote work as well. So I've seen many times a situation where an organization wants people to work remotely, um, whereas some people feel better in the office, um, and some people prefer to work more from home, and there is some interesting dynamic going on between those different groups within an organization. Um, um, whereas I see that people that would like to work more from home 
feel a bit lonely, disconnected, and maybe even um, feel that they're in a weaker position because not everything that's happening in the organization is happening in the Zoom meeting that you have. Some of the talks are happening at the coffee corner. Um, so what, what do you think is happening with, with the psychological part of us as, as a person being enforced or um, yeah, uh, motivated or stimulated to, to move towards a more remote hybrid way of working? There's definitely some challenges and uh, some some issues that we need to be mindful of and look out for. I think part of what you're describing, well, there's, there's a few different interesting things going on there. So to start with this issue of are we in touch with the informal aspects of organising and work, and that's really important. I think more and more people are recognising this now. The, the pandemic maybe even taught us the importance of the social informal side of work. So um, sometimes it gets called water cooler talk or office gossip. And it's easy to dismiss it as something that wastes time. It gets in the way of uh, efficiency and productivity. But in my own research as well and uh, from other studies, we can see that this is a really important part of organisational life. There's a lot of relationship building that happens in that informal conversation um, but that also then can facilitate knowledge sharing innovation you know it's part of what bonds us and creates the resource that you need when you're having trouble and then you need to call on someone uh, when you have a work problem even so getting that is important do you have to be physically co-located to get that kind of informal interaction? That's a big question. It's not settled yet. We're seeing, and this happened during the pandemic as well, but also in the remote workers um, context that, that I was studying, that you can use technology to help with this sort of interaction. So I studied nurses who work from home. They talk to clients over the phone um, as a kind of triage service in Australia. And I'd spoke to them about how they used a very simple instant messaging system throughout their shifts to stay in touch with one another. And that chit-chat was often, you know, inconsequential. They'd say it was like having a cup of tea in the lunchroom. But actually, I found that they were building up a lot of belonging with one another that then they could draw on when they'd had a difficult call with someone and they needed to debrief. So we talk about using these sorts of technologies to create informal spaces that we say it's like the backstage when you're uh, in, in a theatre production, you have your backstage space where you can relax and talk to your colleagues or your, your performing teammates and you can practice and rehearse, but it's very informal. Technology can support these sorts of spaces. In, in our own research group at KIN, we use an enterprise social network. So um, that's like Facebook at work. It's uh, the one we use is called Slack. And this is a space where people share things that have been going on in their lives. So our <laughs> research group leader, Marlene Halsman, recently shared some pictures from her family holiday. Everyone's commenting. It seems like a kind of just fun thing to do, but actually it really builds a sense of connection. And then around that, you see people asking formal work-related questions and answering each other there as well. So these things reinforce each other. So the informal is very important. Technology can support it. It also depends on the culture you have in your group, though, whether that's something you can sustain remotely. Um, I mean, we're talking about some of the challenges, but I guess there are also many things to say about the advantages of working hybrid. So, so can you maybe talk us through some of the advantages that you see uh, when it comes to hybrid working? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, if we look at the more uh, traditional remote work 
model and the arguments that have been made for that model, one of the key things that comes up is the environment. Um, whenever you're working together physically at the same time in the same place, there's a lot of cost attached to that. You've got to physically, um, you know, you've got the cost of the actual building, but the energy costs, the running costs, and then the cost of actually getting to that place together, whether that's hopping in a car or uh, in a plane for things like conferences. Um, of course, in the Netherlands, we have other modes of transport that are more environmentally friendly. I usually bike everywhere, which is wonderful. But we do still have these demands on our infrastructure that can be distributed when you have remote work. So we have different rhythms, perhaps. So that's a huge advantage. And then part of that is time as well, the flexibility that people gain from eliminating a long commute from their day, which is often unproductive and sometimes very frustrating and uncomfortable time. So giving that back to people for, for example, spending time with family or you know engaging in other pursuits, that's a wonderful thing. And I, I think it's not something we're willing to give up now. We've, we've realised these benefits. I'm hearing in places like London, this has been such a big win to reduce the commute time. So... Those elements of flexibility are uh, wonderful. Um, but then with hybrid, we've got probably the opportunity to create the best of both worlds. This is still playing out uh, so that we can cater to different routines and really saying, okay, what format makes sense for this meeting event um, for this type of information sharing and really kind of strategically selecting our environment for the task at hand. So there's also a kind of efficiency angle to, to what we can potentially realize here. I think the first thing that you do entering a new organization is thinking, well, how are things going here? The struggle that I see in many organizations is altering those routines for a new way of working. Do you have any best practices or some practical advices on how to do that? Because I see many companies just trying to copy the old way of working, mm. but now just with half of the staff working from home. I don't think that's the right way to do it, right? I, I really think this is a big opportunity for experimentation, for trying things out. That seems to be best practice. And therefore, the infrastructure, like the building itself, the more flexible it is so that it can kind of adapt to your different needs and what you're learning, the, the better. Um, I think we're going to have potentially, this is just speculation, some issues where people have made grand scale physical changes to their offices that perhaps might not cater to the lessons learned over the next months. So a lot of innovative organisations are really in an experimental phase. Um, and as you've also pointed out, culture and leadership goes a long way there. Are there conversations about what's working and what's not working? And some of these changes don't have to involve physically changing the building. It can also be about time and routines. For example, in our research group, we already before the pandemic had a routine where Tuesdays and Fridays are sort of the on-campus day and you try and um, put your meetings around those days so that you're together uh, physically for those. And that's something that we're revisiting now. So there are also lean ways in the sense that you don't have to put a lot of money or resources into trying things, see how it works and reflect on it. I like your thought about experimentation and that's what I wish for in many organizations. However, they are just too busy with, you know, running their business. And I think that, that a lot of companies, especially commercial companies and organizations, don't spend so much time on experimentation and re-evaluating their organizational design, actually. Um, I've been thinking about some other advantages of remote work and hybrid work as well. Um, there are many staff shortages in, in many industries or, for example, when it comes to people with IT background in healthcare as well. Um, do you think that, that 
that hybrid and remote working can also be a solution for some of those challenges. Remote work has definitely been put forward as a way to attract talent to your company um, and that's particularly important in hard-to-fill um, um, industries um, or industries where it's hard to fill vacancies, for example, in tech. So it's definitely been put forward as that kind of solution, but it's not an easy solution. If you're hiring people, especially internationally, to work remotely, it's very complex. You're talking time zones, taxes. So there's a lot to think about uh, that perhaps people don't always keep front of mind when they run into this as a solution. But we definitely need to be mindful of the shortage of great talent that we have and the role that flexibility can play in helping us to attract good people, for sure. Um, working from home actually can save part of the environment because there was one article which described that we could lower our dependency on Russian gas with 50% if we would all start working from home. Um, yeah, so there are many advantages maybe to consider that. Obviously, there are also some challenges um, that are coming with implementing it or working from home or working hybrid? What are the biggest challenges that you see? Well, with hybrid, I think the biggest challenge is this complexity. What does it even mean? You know, everything's been thrown up in the air now. While we were all enforced remote work, you kind of knew where everyone was. They were in their homes. So that was already one part of the complexity sorted. But now we actually don't know where our colleagues are a lot of the time. And this can create flow-on effects. So uh, if you don't know who's going to be in the office when you get up in the morning, it reduces your incentive to make that journey in because you're not sure what to expect. You're not sure if you know the person who you like to talk to is actually going to be there. So this creates a lot of uncertainty which can have a kind of reinforcing maybe downward spiral effect. I think with hybridity, uh, one of the big issues, and it, it relates to some things you were saying earlier, is that we've emphasised individual choice. You get to do what you want, I get to do what I want. We can all fulfil our personal preferences, desires and needs, which is you know a wonderful narrative and also pretty uh, important in this whole war for talent. But the reality of that is more complicated because work is collective, it's interdependent and we haven't really given a lot of attention yet to those interdependencies. So to make that more concrete, to go back to my example of um, senior employees, experienced employees and junior employees, you know, if we all just do what we want, maybe you've got your new hires in the office on campus, you know, looking for, for leadership and your experienced hires thinking, well, I know what I'm doing, I'm just going to work from home. But then how do we enroll the next generation into the workforce and how do we ensure that we've got also succession planning happening, organisational learning, innovation. So we can't just leave it down to individual choice, absolutely. There needs to be negotiation and discussion. And that's also part of that experimentation that we've discussed. And then there's the fear of exclusion. Yeah, so this fear of, of being overlooked, fear of exile... In some ways, that can be more of a, an emotional aspect of work, feeling like you don't know where things are at or, or what's happening. And that's really hard for new hires as well. People who have started uh, new jobs during the pandemic have told me it's been really hard, really hard to know who you are in that organisation. You know, work's a big part of our identity. So feeling secure, feeling like people know you, that's really important. So that's sort of the emotional side of things, but there's also a really practical human resources side of this issue, which is sometimes uh, summarised in the concept of proximity bias or visibility bias. It's this issue that when uh, you have a manager or a leader who's 
on campus or in the office, they may be preferencing the people that they can see physically, the people who are around them. And this was already an issue for remote workers, that idea of out of sight, out of mind. You know, if you're not in front of me, you don't exist. And that can actually, uh, we've seen in the past uh, from studies, have issues for promotion, for inclusion. Uh, And then if you consider that sometimes people who take advantage of remote work arrangements might be people who have caring responsibilities for example then you're starting to get into really murky territory because it can start to reinforce uh, for example gender bias in the workforce so these are issues that we need to be aware of how do we make sure everyone's paid attention to equally uh, when we have some people who are perhaps more office people and some people who are more uh, remote work people would you say that based on what you just said it it, it could be the case that organizations where everyone is working remotely or in a hybrid way perform better rather than when you have an organization where maybe 50% of the people continue working full-time from the office, whereas the other part is working more from a hybrid perspective. I think whenever you have inequalities, in imbalances, there's potential for problems. So how do you make sure that everyone's treated fairly? That's always harder when there's a lot of different arrangements going on. That doesn't mean we shouldn't make the effort, though. I think sometimes the knee-jerk reaction to that is, well, let's just make sure everyone's working in the same way and then we can eliminate the problem. But I just don't think that's realistic anymore. Yeah. And I haven't heard many organisations who are thinking that way. The new challenge is to be aware of this complexity, put it on the table, examine it, reflect on it, and that's going to be an ongoing uh, challenge and an ongoing question. Another thing I I often hear is that people are struggling with the balance. So they like both. They like to work from home. They like to work in the office, but but you need to find a balance. Um, Can you say something about how to find the right balance for, for, for you as a person? Not for you, but I mean for, for an individual. <laughs> it's, it's such a hard thing to give advice on. Uh, it really helps when you have a line manager who's open to the conversation because it's best when this is a collective effort. It's something that you're communicating about rather than trying to figure out all by yourself individually. And, you know, it can change throughout the year as well. It might not be one kind of balance that always works. We always have busy periods and then quieter periods. So I think making the most of that perhaps is is one way. So unfortunately, I don't have a silver bullet for anyone. Um, But being mindful and communicative about these issues around boundaries, for example, is very important. We're seeing that Um, teams are having, I'd say, benefits from talking about things like when do we switch off? You know, what are our norms around emailing out of hours, for example? You know, that can also be a tool for flexibility for some people if it's more more convenient to to sort some stuff out while the kids have gone to bed, for example. But it needs to be a conversation rather than an unspoken expectation. But also a conversation that, as you mentioned, should partly happen with with the seniors. And I can imagine that um, at, at home, you don't just run into a senior as a junior to talk informally. So... How are in, informal relations even possible when working from home? Yeah, there's a, there's an element of responsibility here and leadership again. Um, of course, you've got to be a bit careful and balanced about how you're raising these issues. But in working towards a more open culture where people do have communication about how do we work here, uh, that's already a big step for a lot of, a lot of uh, contexts. So there's a responsibility here um, from leadership. But how do you do it? Well, <laughs> yeah. and maybe we also need some metrics. I mean, there are so many jobs around nowadays and I can 
can guess that if an organization finds the right way to do this, it's also an advantage and it will attract more and better staff because people like to join a team, an organization where things simply work. Uh, so I'm just thinking now we should maybe set up a website where people can review the specific um, things related to, to, to hybrid working to see yeah, what type of organization they will get if they start working somewhere. Yeah, I do think that these sort of uh, indexes and leaderboards are going to be emerging. There are already such things for remote organizations, which you can um, join as a remote worker. So it's going to become a draw card and people will be starting to think about how we can make comparisons for sure. At the end of the day, people walk with their feet when it comes to uh, employment. So we'll also start to see some shifts, I imagine, as people learn about interesting things that are happening. We've been talking about tech extortion as well. Um, it's like sitting all day, Zoom fatigue, I think you call it, sitting all day behind your laptop. Um, how do we eliminate that? Well, it's a big question. <laughs> One thing that I think we haven't made enough use of is leaner communications. So that's, that's kind of a technology theory term, but it means just simpler communications. We somehow decided that meetings needed to be completely replicated with the whole visual of the face in a video call, whereas actually remote workers are very used to having meetings on the phone, just audio. Sometimes the visual is not actually as important as maybe we've been led to believe. And the advantage of when you're just having an audio call is you can move around, you can be outside, you can walk. And it also relieves some of that stress and pressure on your eyes of constantly maintaining eye contact or, or having uh, this sense of needing to look present the whole time. Yeah. So it can lead to some much more thoughtful conversations. That's one little example, you know, but we can be more creative. Uh, I think we've gotten locked into some habits that aren't necessarily serving us and all day Zoom meetings are definitely one of those. So in your research, you have also translated an interesting theatre metaphor by sociologist Erving Goffman from 1956 to today's working at home. Uh, can you share it? And in, how does it relate to what we were just discussing? Yeah, so Goffman, he's, he's one of my favourite sociologists, and he used a metaphor to describe all life as a stage. Like you have, you have the scenario of being on stage and off stage in your everyday work, so in the office as well. You know, you have moments when you're performing in front of your colleagues or in front of clients or, or students uh, as a lecturer. But then in an office, you also have these backstage spaces, which are like lunch rooms where you have informal chats, you have a cup of coffee, you stand around the water cooler. So you need to have these more formal spaces, which are good for presentation. And you need to have informal spaces, which are private, uh, which you can control who's listening in. So you have these more informal spaces. Could it be problematic that your home is an offstage environment? And could it become problematic when you start using that offstage environment to be on stage? It's very complicated. So when you start working from home, you can get these sort of interruptions from one to the other, or even you need to try and carve out this on-stage environment for yourself in a busy home. You know, sometimes you see those memes and pictures of just the, the field of vision of your laptop where everything looks nice and neat and then everything else around you, this total mess of a house, you know, with the cat and the kids. And, and so there was this real pressure to maintain a kind of um, formal, polished, on-stage impression while you're in these challenging environments. Whereas doing that in the office is something that we're used to and we get help with. You know, you have catering, you have IT to help you, you have lighting, but all that work was then put on, on us at home to try and create on-stage spaces. 
And similarly, where are your offstage spaces? They were no longer provided for us by nature of needing to go get lunch in the cafeteria or to have a coffee. So now we needed to find each other again in informal spaces as well, for example, in uh, a messaging system or even in WhatsApp, you know, we were using whatever tools we had available to find each other again and have those informal chats that are very important. Personally, I also felt really relieved when I um, uh, changed one bedroom into a working space. Um, and, and everything that I need for my work is in that space. And there I'm working, I feel on stage. And then sometimes after a meeting, I just close my laptop, I walk out of that room and I really feel like I'm going off stage. I can imagine the physical aspect is also very important. So it's not only being on stage or off stage, but, but it might even correlate to, to your working environment at home as well. Um, do you have some best practices maybe for people that are also desiring to have an offstage while being offstage on stage because their laptop is st standing in their private environment when working yeah, from home? This is difficult. So what you're describing I think is ideal where you have this space that's dedicated to your performances and you can really feel like, oh, there I'm on and then I step away and I'm off. Uh, a lot of people have not had that. So they've Should had we redesign homes? Maybe in the future? It should, oh, I should think a lot of people have, yeah. And the demand for, for spare rooms has just gone crazy. Everyone's putting sheds in their courtyards. and So there's a lot of demand for, for creating these um, arenas that are easier to stage, easier to transform into what you need and to give yourself some boundaries. But a lot of people are creating these transitions between being on stage and being off stage with routines if they don't have enough space. So a real kind of sweep of the kitchen table, everything's off and in a drawer, and then we have our offstage <laughs> environment. So there's also a way that you can do it um, perhaps yeah. with fewer resources. <laughs> It maybe also relates, I'm not sure if, if you read it, there was a paper from the London School of Economics where they suggest that people can feel like work is not real when working from home. Does it also connect to being in an offstage environment, being on stage in a Zoom call and then not understanding what you're doing anymore? Yeah, there is. So a nice part of the stage metaphor is the whole point of being on stage is that you're in front of an audience. You know, whoever that might be for you in your work role. You know, we have audiences that we perform to. And then we depend on their feedback as well to kind of see how am I doing here? Am I, am I giving a good performance? Are they buying it? You know, is my profession professional identity being reaffirmed and for for some people and, and during the pandemic in particular sometimes we're losing touch with our audience whoever that might be whether it's uh, students or, or our, our professional community our clients um, and I think that that's what perhaps this uh, idea from the LSE report might connect to you know they talk about that work can feel like a, a video game And, and in the sense where perhaps you're not a, a very passionate gamer and it feels like it's not very real, you know, like you're yeah. detached from reality. And I think that that could connect to this idea of you're detached from your audience. You're not getting the feedback that you're used to. You're not getting reassurance. Uh, um, you're not getting tips on improvement. And that's a, a sort of vitality feedback loop, I would say, that we need to re-establish. Yeah, so coming out of our bubble and, and start swimming with the other fishes again. Yeah, exactly. And what does that mean? And, and am I a real person? Yeah, <laughs> well, that's <laughs> so a good question. Quite philosophical. <laughs> am I a real person? Well, that happens sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but there, there's a fragility, I think, to us now, which is, uh, you know, it's been a tough time. And uh, we've been isolated. And so we're kind of re-socializing ourselves and others, um, newcomers, uh, students. Uh, and this is a new learning curve that we're going on together. But yeah, I think it is about 
you know, when you do something, it matters to someone. It's having an impact. And, and starting to recognise that impact again uh, is part of this process. I was talking with an um, insurance company that issues law insurances here in the Netherlands, and I was talking about what they saw happening during the pandemic. And they said that they saw the trend that they have less conflicts between people, but they start to become a bit more aggressive, uh, like people start to be less tolerant to each other. Could it also be a consequence of being detached from each other and sitting in that bubble? Yeah, I mean, again, just sort of uh, speculating. I haven't done research on this specifically, but I do think that, you know, it's like what people say or, or the research about um, online, people are not as kind to each other because it's sometimes hard to remember that that's a real person behind the screen. I think that some of that has travelled into other environments as well. But on top of that, people are still quite stressed and, you know, <laughs> true, yeah. coming out of a difficult time. And um, like I said, for the period of time when people were working while trying to homeschool kids and, and deal with health issues in their family as well uh, and all the other complications that people have been dealing with, it's just been a really hard time. So I think we all need to give each other a break and try and be and have a rest, gentle. <laughs> yeah, have a Off rest. Stage. <laughs> I think that that would be beneficial for many people if they can uh, manage it. <laughs> so we've been talking about many benefits and challenges that come with hybrid working. Um, overall, would you say there are more benefits or more challenges? Oh, I'm not optimistic. Yeah, I'm so pleased that there's been this opportunity to rethink the way we work. You know, I was already a bit of a convert towards remote work, but I was resigned to the fact that this will remain in the fringes. It'll be kind of the odd people who do this. But now the whole world has seen what's possible. And I really hope that we can retain some of those benefits while also <laughs> now gaining the benefits of being physically together when it matters. So I'm all about strategic co-location. You know, when does it matter for us to come together? How can we make the most of those moments rather than just treating it as a default? Um, and I think that at the FU as well, we've got such an opportunity in our education and in the way we work together to tailor our work environment and our routines to, yeah, to, to this new era of work. So what's the kind of research that you look forward to? I mean, I, I guess that last two years were also yeah, one big box of inspiration for you and you might come up with some new ideas uh, that you want to research. What's the top three of what we... Um, can expect from you in the next couple of years? Well, we're, we're starting an exciting project, actually looking at hybrid working at the FU. And here we want to talk to uh, university employees, um, administrative staff, as well as faculty, about how they work. So our starting point is always, well, what's going on on the ground? What does work look like now? And then from that, starting to step back and think, okay, well, what kinds of infrastructures, by which I mean, what kind of technology, what kind of spaces, what kind of routines can support people in these new hybrid ways of working? So it's all kind of a blank slate in the sense that people are trying things and we want to go and start to look at that diversity and complexity and see what's going on. So um, very curious. Very curious to learn what you're, you're going to find out, especially because I guess it's also a challenge for in inclusiveness in organizations as well, because I guess that if you narrow or change your organizational design, um, it will attract some of your people a bit more uh, and, and, and appeal to some groups in society more than, than others, which you've been pointing out already. So in how many years do you expect the first results? Oh, well, we, we're really... Uh 
looking to share results in the coming year. So it'll be an ongoing project um, and we like to share as we go. Uh, scientific findings, publications, that takes quite some time. So don't hold your breath there. But uh, We can always <laughs> do a podcast. This <laughs> could be years from now. No, we're expecting to, to learn, you know, month by month and we'll be feeding back. Uh, apart from the scientific world, just, I mean, I understand that until something is, is proven at least two times, we, we cannot call it effect, but but just you as a person, what, what do you think the future holds in terms of how working will change over the next 10 years and beyond? That's such a big question. <laughs> there, there are so many trends in the world of work that it's hard to summarize one. We have a lot going on in the realm of automation and AI and whole organizational structures that are not managed by people so because this can save a lot of money i'm sure that things are going to be going in that direction but at the same time i expect a huge counter movement to that which is all about very humane ways of working we're already seeing such an emphasis on topics of well-being uh, belonging connection and that i can see really becoming even more of a distinguishing point for organizations in the, the employee marketplace so i think smart ways of working, you know, really trying to help people get away from this very um, anxious or, or, or kind of stressed way of working that, that we've come f to be quite familiar with. I think we're starting to be more aware of the damage of that. So everything that moves us towards a more zen kind of way of, of life um, and that takes people's needs into account in a very iterative, responsive way. That's, that's the optimistic side of the work. Anyway, I could talk for hours with you about this topic and, and maybe we will in, in a future uh, episode of this podcast. But for, for now, for today, I would like to thank you for this interesting conversation. Um, and for the listeners, if you want more information about hybrid working and best practices, please visit foo.nl slash hybrid working. And thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much for being here today, Ella. Thank you. Thank you, Danny.